You're listening to Beyond Synth, the best synthwave chat show there is. Welcome to the show. This is Beyond Synth, episode 271. On the show today, I am catching up with Sunglasses Kid, and just like always, I think of all of the guests I, I have come on the show, Sunglasses Kid is the guy who always out-talks me, so he uh, <laughs> he likes to talk. So we ended up talking for a really long time, and I feel like we almost listened to his entire album <laughs> while we talked, which is a feat, because I think we ended up playing like eight of the songs off it or something, but uh, anyway, look forward to that. We talk all about his uh, the, the album he just released at the end of last year, Sophomore, and it's uh, it's a great album. Every song is good, so it was uh, it was nice to uh, to go through that and to catch up with Edward because that is always fun. So look, uh, I have a few letters to read. There has been a lot of Patreon activity this week, so we're going to get to all of that, and then we will chat with Sunglasses Kid. So let's start the show off with some music. Um, I would like to say that it is brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, the Kings of the Pattersons, Robert D. Bishop, Chris Dance, and Mike Shima, and we might have a new King of the Pattersons this week, which I will discuss in just a moment. So, with that said, let's listen to this. This is Scarlet Soho from the album Programmed to Perfection Best of and Rarities 2020, and uh, this is a fun one. This is Gigolo. Gigolo Under cover of the
right, and that was Gigolo by Scarlet Soho, and that's a cool track. I don't actually know anything uh, about the band, really. The album was sent to me by uh, the label, I think. What label was it? Anyway, whatever. Just, <laughs> you know, I post the links if you want to find the stuff, but because uh, it, it has a definite, genuine retro sound, so that might actually be an old song. I don't know. But uh, listen, the point is that it sounds cool, and actually, um, as I listen to more of that album, there's a lot of really awesome songs on there, so I'll probably play some more in the future as well. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters, and I would like to highlight a new member of the Kings of the Pattersons, at least for a little while. Uh, we're talking about John. John Masari, who just uh, gave a very generous donation to the show. And if you don't know who that is, this is awesome because we were just talking about this, uh, not on the last family show, but the one before. John Masari is the guy who scored Killer Clowns from Outer Space. Now, I don't know how the hell he found the show, but he's been listening and I think he's working on some sort of synthwave style score album thing. And so I guess he stumbled upon Beyond Synth and he's been uh, writing nice comments. And uh, I think this is just awesome because, as I was saying on that show, I love, like, Killer Clowns is my favorite B-movie. And I know I think I've said this on the show before. I believe that there's sort of a confusion amongst movie watchers where they sort of equate B-movies like they're the same as, you know, those so bad they're good movies. Because you always see them in sometimes, like, the same lists. Like, people will talk about, like, oh, The Room and, and Samurai Cop and then mention things like Killer Clowns and stuff. And that sort of mentality always bugs me because I actually think Killer Clowns is a good movie, and my kids love it. I mean, like, my daughter's four, and she loves it. Like, <laughs> they, in the summertime, they watched it so many times. And and I, I used to love it as a kid, but watching it again recently just reminded me, like, how well structured the film is. And I never really gave it credit for that, that it's, like, really inventive. It doesn't overstay its welcome. It is legitimately funny. The clown costumes are awesome. The score is great. Like, this is what's so awesome about uh, being in contact with John, because, like... I, and I'll try and have him on the show at some point in the future, uh, obviously. Yeah, because I was... Because <laughs> I was in my head, too. Uh, you know, the, the fucking March of the Clowns song? The... <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, so look, uh, thanks, John, for your support. He joins for uh, the next little while the Kings of the Pattersons, and uh, and hopefully I'll have a conversation with him sometime in the future. So look, let's uh, listen to some more music, and we will keep talking, because I have some letters to read. So uh, what should we listen to here? How about this one? Neverman sent this in. It was a, a remix he did for uh, an artist called Rune Nathaniel. And uh, we're going to listen to that because it's got a fun, like, kind of 90s dance music vibe to it. And uh, this stuff always uh, makes me feel nostalgic. It is, of course, brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. Uh, we got Jose Arbello, the king of hell, Jacob Wick, my semi-sonic friend, and City Hunter. Who... <laughs> Why have I still not figured out a, a, a nickname for him? Although he did point out, which I guess we didn't really acknowledge that much, that Florence really did uh, kick ass at the trivia last week. I think we're always so used to Florence losing, and then we never really acknowledged that she she totally just won, and we just sort of, like, blazed past it. But City Hunter noticed, because uh, he's a cool guy. All right, so let's listen to this. This is Rune Nathaniel and Ilva and Linda with the track Light It Up, the Neverman Remix. Thank you. 
All right, that was Rune Nathaniel and Ilva and Linda with Light It Up, remixed by Nevermen. And that, of course, was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. We have some new patrons this week. We got Stephen Field in the $5 Club or the 4.5 Euros Club. I don't... <laughs> I keep forgetting because now that people can donate in their own currency, I never know what the hell club they're in. Well, technically, I do know the club, but listen, I like to pretend that I'm confused all the time, all right? It's part of my character. (laughs) Anyway, thank you, Stephen Field, for becoming a patron. You're a cool guy, and uh, thank you so much for your support. And we have new, in the 888 Club, we got Dub42. Dub 42. Now that's dub and then the word 40 spelt out and then the number 2. I don't know what it means, but maybe you can explain it to me sometime. And new in the $10 club, your friend Estevez. Now I know this sounds familiar. Why does this sound familiar? You make music, right? Yeah, he makes music. I feel like he sent me some tracks in before. Your friend Estevez. It's weird because I know some people say that last name differently. You know, because there's some people that uh, call him Emilio Estevez. And for some reason, when I see your friend Estevez, I want to say it as your friend Estevez, even though I don't say Estevez, I say Estevez. Estevez, Estevez, Estevez. Okay, that's... (laughs) That word loses its meaning after saying it once. Anyway, in the $10 club, so thank you so much for supporting the show. Yeah, you're all you're all awesome, all right? Now, what the hell? I had some letters to read. So I think I mentioned last week there was a new patron, Gene Creamer Private Eye, and I forgot that Gene <laughs> Gene Creamer wrote in a letter, all right? And I don't know if this explains Gene Creamer, but um he says Another day, another stakeout. On one of those nights where you wonder if you will ever crack the case, there's only two things that keep me on target. A pack of Marlboro Reds and Beyond Synth. I've been watching you for a while from the shadows. You had no idea I was there, yet you spoke directly to me. So I've decided to reveal all of myself to you. We're not so different, you and me, Andy. We satisfy hundreds of people on a weekly basis and look good doing it. Thanks for all the years of satisfaction. Love, Gene Creamer. All right, well, I don't know what that means. (laughs) Are you a sex worker? (laughs) Anyway, I'm glad you satisfy people, and that makes me feel good, all right, that we're all in the same business. Although, to be fair, I am not a sex worker, but I, uh... I have no way of finishing that sentence. Uh, so look, let's listen to another track, okay? I have a few more letters to read. So how about this one from Ice Choir? Uh, this whole album's fun, Designs and Rhythm. I think I've played a track from this one before. Uh, this is another great one. It's called Wind Surf by Ice Choir. Stop. 
right, and that was Wind Surf by Ice Choir from the album Designs in Rhythm, and that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. We got some upgrades this week. Oh, did you guys catch... The latest episode of Andy's Spaceship on YouTube? Is that why there was so much Patreon activity? I think people really enjoy Andy's Spaceship, because whenever I seem to put one out, it reminds people to uh, support the show. And I would like to make more. I think hopefully the next one will come out in less than a month, because I know the last one took a little bit longer. It's actually because there was originally a different episode 5, and the, the Valentine's Day special, which we just released with the song from Le Cassette, was going to be episode 6, but then episode five was taking so long that I had to basically stop working on it to work on the Valentine's one so it would be done in time. A deadline which I barely met, by the way. I was still rendering effects files at four in the morning on Valentine's Day, and then I woke up early in the morning to make sure that everything rendered properly, and then I put it up on YouTube. But uh, if you haven't, go see Andy Spaceship, the Valentine's Day uh, episode. It's fun. It features Le Cassette, and also a guest appearance by Roxy Drive, who plays uh, the hologram hostess and uh, we play some music from Iverson and uh, Astral Stereo Project so go check that out and I would like to say that the song we just listened to was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters who have upgraded their support cool people like Chatterack who is now in the $20 club thank you Chatterack I think he actually wrote me a letter which I will read uh, now <laughs> Chatterack says, First, let me assure you I'm alive and well. I've been living happily these last eight months in the year 1885. Or so it seems, because I've deleted all of my social media accounts. Good for you, buddy. Seriously, we should all delete our social media accounts. Just saying. I just wanted to let you know I'm still a big fan of the show and have upped my monthly donation a bit. When I did, I saw the thanks for the cash video again. It's amazing, and I'm loving Andy's spaceship. Keep it up, my friend. Chatterack? Well, listen, thanks, dude, and uh, always thanks for your support, and yeah, man, social media sucks. Or at the very least, you don't have to, like... Okay, I don't want to get into a whole thing, okay? We don't have time. But obviously there have been some high-profile firings lately of uh, certain actresses on certain Star Wars shows. Although, do you really fire a supporting actor? Anyways, here's the thing, and I've said this before, I think people just fundamentally don't understand what social media is, and that's leading to this entire confusion. So here's the fucking Coles Notes version of this. You don't need to post on social media. You don't have to do it. You know, like, and especially if you think, this is the amazing thing, if you totally buy into the the cancel culture narrative, right, so you firmly believe that this is a thing that is happening in society, then doesn't that make you the idiot if you post on social media knowing that it's going to get you fired and then you get fired? Like, regardless of what, anyway, look... (laughs) Look, the point is, okay, that you don't need to, right? Like, I have political opinions. I don't post them on social media. My political opinions only matter on the day that I vote. And until then, it literally doesn't matter. Like, you don't need to say them. So, if I was working for Coca-Cola... All right. And every day on my personal social media account, I kept on talking about how much I love Pepsi and how Coke sucks. All right. Then after a while, Coke is going to be like, hey, you know, maybe you should stop posting so much about how much Coke sucks on your personal account. And then I go, "Uh, yeah, well, fucking Pepsi's great. Like the next day and then get fired and then complain and go, oh, fucking cancel culture struck again. Uh, They can't they don't let me say what I want to say. Where's my free speech? And like you work for Coke, you know, Coke 
Coke doesn't want you tweeting about how much Coke sucks, and then they told you don't tweet about Coke sucking, and then you still tweeted about it, and then got fired, and then complain that there is some fundamental thing wrong with the system. It's like, when you work for a big company, you're like a brand ambassador. And yeah, there's probably some inconsistencies, which I'm sure, I mean, that's what a lot of people like to complain about. Like, but, but this actor said this thing and he didn't get fired. How come she got? And it's just like, yeah. Like, the world is full of stupid inconsistencies. But if you know what those inconsistencies are, like, if you're working for Coke, and it's like, how come they get mad at me when I post about Pepsi sucking, but they don't get mad at me when I say footballs suck? And it's like, because they don't get mad about that, but they get mad about this. And you know they get mad about this. And so by doing it anyways, you are sort of the fool. What am I talking about? Anyway, look, uh, the bottom line is, if I worked for Coke, I wouldn't talk about Coke sucking, because I actually really like Coke. <clears throat> Cocaine. <laughs> All right, and also... Uh, <laughs> okay, where am I? Well, you know what? Fuck, we gotta listen to another song. How about this one by the Bad Dreamers? Uh, this was a single that they put out, and uh, and it's a good one. Of course, we know that the uh, the Bad Dreamers was the, the people that put uh, Ollie Ride onto the Throga. If I remember that correctly from the interview, <laughs> I still think about that. It's a yoga for your throat. Anyway. <laughs> anyway, look, the point is this. Let's listen to it. Uh, this is The Bad Dreamers with Unspoken Unbroken.
And we can't unbreak all the promises we made We could try again, but it's best we walk away Oh, I wish it could all be unspoken That was Unspoken, Unbroken by the Bad Dreamers. And that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters. We got a few more upgrades this week. We got Stu M, who has upgraded his support. That's right. He is now in the 850 Euros Club. What is... (laughs) Fuck. Okay, I really should have wrote these notes better. Listen, Stu M., you're a cool guy. Thank you for supporting the show. Do you know when I do the credits for Andy's Spaceship, I include all of my Patreon supporters in the end credits, and Stu M. is one of the hardest ones to do because the Stu has an umlaut over it, and the M is surrounded by two bullet points, and not all fonts have those options. And so when I copy and paste Stu M. into the end credits, it shows up with a bunch of weird symbols. Then I cheat, and I just get rid of the umlaut and just make them dashes, but... uh, so this is all the extra work that goes into all these videos. You know, like, actually, I spend, like, an hour doing the end credits, making sure everything's fucking aligned properly, and then all the weird symbols that aren't there with the font I use and all that stuff. Um, but anyways, thank you so much for supporting the show, and Neverman has upgraded his support! <laughs> That's right, Neverman's in the $25 Club. Oh, and of course, we just listened to a remix that Neverman did of that uh, Rune Nathaniel track. And uh, Ilva and Linda, and you know, I just looked this up, you know, Ilva is the female version of Wolf. Did I read that correctly? Ilva, she-wolf, female wolf, is an old Swedish female given name. It is the female form of the masculine given name Ulf, and is one of the earliest names to appear in documents. Uh, the oldest written pre- Proof of the name's occurrence in Sweden was Ingrid Ilva, the mother of Burger Magnuson von Bjalbo. Burger Magnuson von Bjalbo? <laughs> That's a fucking awesome name. <laughs> Why isn't that your name, Neverman? <laughs> Get out of here with your Neverman nonsense. From now on, you are <laughs> synthwave artist Burger Magnuson von Bjalbo. <laughs> Fucking Burger Magnuson Von Bialbo. This is what you upgraded your support for? (laughs) Christ, there's so many fucking letters to read, but I really just want to get to the show because I talked to Sunglasses Kid for over two hours. So let's just say... Oh, right, okay, so Black Light Coffee, everybody. Blacklightcoffee.net. This guy has got a synthwave coffee business going. Uh, It's called blacklightcoffee.net. Go to blacklightcoffee.net. And if you use the code BEYONDSYNTH, you get a 10% discount on coffee. So uh, go check that out. 
and get some coffee and get to 10% off on me. And uh, they got different flavors and stuff there. And I'm told the slogan is sleep is for the weak. I don't necessarily know if I support that catchphrase because sleep is very important. But I think the point is that uh, drinking this blacklightcoffee.net will uh, give you that boost you need to work through the day and uh, and get all your stuff done, all right? So check out blacklightcoffee.net and type in the code BEYONDSYNTH to get a 10% discount. Now, if I went to my social media and started complaining about how much I hate coffee, that would be weird, right? Okay, so that's how I feel about... That old Gina Carano thing. But no, he seems like a cool guy, and uh, if you like coffee, uh, go get some coffee. You know what I'm saying? And of course, I just mentioned that uh, Stu M upgraded his support, and that was directly because, remember when he said, play a thing, and then I made that little song, and then Stu M wrote me this letter and said, nice one, dude, I've just caught up and listened to it. To be honest, I thought you had just dissed it. Spelling wasn't my greatest forte, they're probably both wrong. Uh, I don't know what you mean by that. Anyway, I've done the Patreon upgrade, and more likely than not, I'll stay there. Because you're worth it. Hair product pun not intentional. You probably just thought about it when I mentioned you were worth it. Well, I did. Because you're worth it. Who was that slogan for? Anyways, uh, I've said it before and I'll say it again. What you do, Andy, is awesome. P.S. As an upgraded patron, could you find it in your heart to play Mitch Murder's Time Paradox featuring Satellite Young? Please? Pretty please? And that was from Stu M. So guess what, Stu M? Because you're a cool guy, I will play that song. And then we will go to my conversation with Sunglasses Kid. So let's listen to that and then uh, get this show cracking, all right? So this is Mitch Murder with the track Time Paradox featuring Satellite Young. Just for you, Stu M.
right, that was Time Paradox by Mitch Murder featuring Satellite Young. And we are back here. This is Beyond Synth. I would like to say that that was brought to you by my awesome Patreon supporters in the $25 Club. All right, we're talking about Clint Dowling, Jimmy the Hutt, Newmark, Alex Ellickson, Eurobeat Intensifies, A Star Apart, Restless Nights, Honeybeard, Tim Carlton, Johnny Five, Monkey Magics, Kempson, Ken Giroux, Martin Larby, and Blake Peterson. Thank you so much for supporting the show. And uh, we almost forgot to do birthdays. So play that jingle. Happy birthday, everybody. We do birthdays on Beyond Synth. If you're a patron of the show and you want me to read off your birthday, just uh, send me a message, okay? And let me know when it is. So I would like to say happy birthday to Cenotaph, a.k.a. Wes Evans, who I actually also sent him a video message because his uh, fiance got in touch with me and said, oh, can you make a video for my for my fiance? And I was like, all right, fine. Uh, so I made the best video you guys will never see because it was just for their eyes, all right? But anyways, happy birthday. Birthday, Wes Evans, you're a cool guy, and thanks for supporting the show. So that was February 16th, so his birthday was yesterday. And uh, February 17th, that's today. I will be posting this on the 17th. <laughs> now, I don't know if it's the 17th where you live, but it is the 17th where I live. And I would like to say happy birthday to Simon, a.k.a. The Fear Merchant. So happy birthday, dude, and uh, thanks for the trivia you sent in that we used on the uh, family show. And I hope you have a lovely day over there and uh, keep being a cool guy. So happy birthday to you. And I think that's everything. Although I will say, uh, as far as like... Synthwave scene birthdays go in a few days time. It's uh, Mizukat's birthday. She's a talented artist and uh, she's also been on the show before. So you can go uh, check that out. Mizukat. So happy birthday Mizukat. And now we're good. Alright. Happy birthday everybody. Now let's go chat with Sunglasses Kid. All right, well, I'm here right now catching up with old friend of the show, Sunglasses Kid, a.k.a. Edward. Hi. Hi, how are you? I'm great. Good. It's the best day of my life. (laughs) (laughs) Talking to me or something else has happened. I don't actually know what that joke meant. (laughs) I'll be honest with you, my brain doesn't work so well anymore. Well, maybe it's just uh, the idea of anyone having a good time right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That could be. Well, funny. we're hey, but we're gonna have a good time, and then uh, people can vicariously j- enjoy our conversation if they're. Uh, I can. Yeah, we were just talking about cyberpunk before we started recording because you're actually playing it. Well, I stopped playing it. Okay. I was like, it was like I was saying to you is one of these things where immediately I was like very kind of like oh my god this is amazing this looks incredible and then. Like I said, it's got this incredible, like immersive, like environment. Even though it's broken on the on the Xbox One, it's still really incredible, and it has all the appearance of being very interactive. But it isn't very interactive. You can't really talk to anyone. Majority of like doors are locked, so you're walking around this like temptingly exciting looking environment, but can't do anything in it. And if all the games and missions force you into this first person shooter style, but the frame rate's wrecked and the gun handling shit so it's like it doesn't work as an FPS and it doesn't work as a RPG so f- RPG is that what it is yeah or is that that's a rocket launcher um, well both so yeah it? you kind of yeah so you kind of end up what is it hold on what is rocket propelled grenade right is that what a yeah RPG rocket propelled grenade how do we get onto RPG so quickly <laughs> <laughs> 
Yeah, that's what we do here. That's what Beyond Synth is all about, is talking about our favorite guns and munitions. And Yeah, I love it. I'm going to wait. I feel like it, it can't hurt. I mean, I didn't play Witcher 3 when it came out. Apparently, it was also broken until they fixed it. And so I don't I don't know that it'll hurt. Mitch Murder was like sending me videos of him playing. I think he, he was getting off on just walking around the city. Yeah, it's brilliant. It, it, it looks amazing, and I do think people are giving it a hard time. People are like comparing it to GTA, and I'm and I do think it's considerably more like complex the environment. So I, I don't know what challenges there are as a dev dealing with all that. But I'm like, it is more impressive in a lot of ways. But it just does have this feeling of it feels like they just because I know the whole controversy was they said they were advertising it as being ready for the older con- for the previous generation of console and then suddenly it's all like if you if it can't it won't really run on the older console so I'm, I'm sort of it does feel like you're playing it feels like you're playing a game on a PC that, that can't quite handle it people have these expectations and like it's not not unwarranted because the company did really hype up what they were doing but they do not have the team that like G- like GTA is a huge team, mm. right? And they spend like five years on each game and they're already like a team of like hundreds and hundreds of people, right? And so those games are loaded with detail that only a giant team can do. Mm. And I just don't think that uh, CD Projekt Red is as big of a team, but they're still aiming like they're this giant team. Yeah, and I think I think the other problem is is it keep people keep comparing it to GTA when, like I say, it's not quite a GTA game. It's falling between these two stores because the majority of the time you're playing what feels like good FPS, like it feels like you're playing Crisis or something. Like you're 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 looking down sights on guns, and all your missions seem to be like shooting people mm. I, I find I'm not even touching the cars and when I am driving the cars I'm finding it easier in first person which is weird because usually I'd want to go third person but there's something about the handling of everything that's very odd so the whole thing feels like this weird first person experience but it's nothing like GTA it's weird it just has the appearance of looking like GTA and I think that's what a lot of the disappointment is, is that people were like oh it's not like GTA no right we can cut all this this is a highly dark <laughs> No, it's good because I, I, I like hearing from people who are actually playing it because I was super excited and then I was like, you know what, I'll wait till I get a next-gen console anyways because I'm sure it'll be better on there and it'll feel more like a next-gen experience. And then with Sony like literally taking it off the store, yeah. you know, it's like, oh, that's a pretty bold move. Like a game's got to be pretty broken for a company to pull that. It is weird though how quickly like the human mind and we, how we, we adapt so and become so blasé about stuff so quickly that you're immediately wowed by all these graphics and this amazing environment and I'm looking around going holy fuck this is like so three dimensional and it's it's so detailed and like the environment is the definitely the best thing about the game is just walking around it and climbing around and doing things yeah 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 but then you very very quickly start to get used to it and then okay with it and then you move on and it's like I've been looking at like some of these kind of concept videos I saw one the other day it was like the top six most realistic graphics and one of them was like <laughs> I don't know where they'd done it but someone had done like a it was like a, a like a Tomb Raider but but done with some sort of next gen graphics thing so it wasn't a real game it was like oh yeah the, you're looking at the um, Unreal Engine 5 demo for PS5 yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and I'm like, you're just looking at it going, holy fucking shit, there's, there's points where you literally, it looks like like film. Mm-hmm. It, it's like super real. 
and I and I just think within like twenty minutes of that game being out, when on those like those level of graphics once they're out, people will be like, "It's shit," because this is it's like people can so fucking quick to start complaining about like insanely amazing shit. Well, I think it's also because games haven't really evolved in like gameplay in a long time like you know when we compare when we we grew up with you know like nintendo and super nintendo and uh n64 and and we experienced all these jumps every time like i remember i've I've, Mm. again i've said this a million times on the show but like the jump to n64 i remember being really huge like it was a big deal playing mario 64 for the first time and going like holy fuck like 3d and it was very colorful and all this shit and then now it's like games keep on getting better looking but it's like you're still playing the same game so you have this game that's like oh the graphics are super 3d and all this but then you're still having the oh the guy's stuck on the wall yeah. or you know like you have these clipping issues or the animation isn't great or this is stiff I'm, I'm not like i'm not even that bothered about some of those issues for me that a good game is about having the right balance of stuff you know obviously you've got to be into the type of game it is but let's assume you like the type it's the style of game you like so like the, the, my my favorite game of all time is half-life 2 half-life 2 and half-life 1 mm-hmm. for me they're the perfect like blend of like action puzzle solving and incredible sort of graphics and environment and and and, and i think that the too many games especially well, there's this this obsession with these open world games you know like the, the late talking about Lara you know Tomb Raider like the last few new Tomb Raiders they're all like it's set on this one island where you walk around the same one island and I'm like no Tomb Raider is all about globe trotting it's all about where's the next amazing environment you're going to pop out and I'm, I'm climbing in Thailand and then I'm in the snow and then I'm, that's what was exciting and cool about Tomb Raider to me so I find I get bored of all these like closed kind of open worldy they're called open world and yet they feel very closed I personally do love open world games but they have to be like what's what's happened is over the course of like the last few years a lot of games have merged like where every game tries to do everything and so there's less of a surprise when you start playing an open world game and go like alright this is the crafting system of this game and this is the map and this is how you put your waypoints and it's like every game sort of becomes the same mm-hmm. and then it is all about the different aesthetic which is why I was so excited for cyberpunk because it was like most open world games now it's either like it's a contemporary city or some sort of zombie game or it's like you know um, a fantasy game with castles and forests and stuff and I've never played an open world cyberpunk game I mean you could say maybe deus ex kind of but they're not really open world they're sort of like open segments where it's like you know you get to a city and you can kind of walk around a block of that city but you can't necessarily walk around the entire city yeah so that's what was exciting to me because most of the games i play now all play the same even tomb raider it's basically just borrowing how uh the uh, the uncharted games work on playstation that sort of blend of action and cinematics where they sort of blend together and i think tomb raider did it mm. well like i thought tomb raider played well but i get what you're saying the, the last game i played that I, that I really was impressed by and it's actually it's actually amazingly it's like was made in 2013 but there's a sequel that's been held up that's meant to be coming out like this year or next year is a game called The Dying Light which is an open world game but it's a zombie game yeah the graphics are really impressive like when I was like when was this made it was like 2000 oh no 15 2013 15 something like that and um it's a brilliant premise it, will, it like takes place inside a sort of fictitious South American shanty town kind of thing that's all abandoned and your air dropped in to kind of try and find some sort of cure thing and there's all these warring factions inside this place but the, the the brilliant conceit of it is you've got daylight 
and zombies kind of moving in a in a kind of slow kind of traditional way and then at night these like hyper violent really fast moving zombies all come out and get really aggressive and you've got like uv lights and stuff and it is shit scary (laughs) and you've got like grapple hooks and things and the whole thing is about not touching the ground it's got like this very good parkour system where you're running around on rooftops and climbing about and it's super engaging and really exciting and really really scary and it's got really great co-op so i played it with my mate uh, just at the start of the, of the kind of whole pandemic back in March last year and it's really really good so I, I, I highly rate The Dying Light and The Dying Light 2 coming out this year next year or something so anyway all this fucking game talk we're here to talk about music right uh, you put out a new album just last year towards the end of the year and we're gonna listen to it because it's all good this is one of the things I always find tricky because you know in every show I, I like to play five or six tracks from people's stuff and uh, the album is solid which makes it difficult for me because it was like, they're all good, you know? Oh, thank you. And so some of my choices are sort of arbitrary because <laughs> it's sort of like, I mean, I haven't heard a track with Miranda Carey in a while, so let's listen to the one with her because they're all good. Like, it's well-produced, good stuff. So uh, let's do that. Let's listen to some music and then we'll uh, we'll talk about it. So uh, let's listen to uh, Steal My Love. How about that? This is uh, Sunglasses Kid and Miranda Carey. With a steal, my love.
That was Steal My Love by Sunglasses Kid and Miranda Carey. And I'm here right now with Sunglasses Kid catching up. What's up? <laughs> what? I, know, I was waiting for you to finish the sentence. I thought you disappeared. <laughs> Sometimes I like to have fun with the intonation of my voice and I realize, no, I've just left that open for confusion. Anyway, man. <laughs> how, how long? <laughs> so... You had been working on this one for for how long then? Oh god, no! This makes this does sound like I've been working on this album for ages. That particular track, I think I wrote probably getting on for two and a bit years ago, which sounds terrible. But it was one of like a number of tracks that were sort of sitting there in a folder with me trying to work out what I was going to do with it. And actually, when I first wrote it, I always had Miranda in mind. I always was thinking of can't hide and kind of trying to write something that would have that same energy and um miranda is pretty hard to get hold of she's in australia as well so i'm not sure if it's a time zone thing and also i think she was on the road doing quite a lot of singing and i think the pandemic one of the kind of positive byproducts of the pandemic was suddenly people were a bit more available and she actually reached out to me on instagram over some other clip or something i posted saying hey we should do something together and i was like well actually here's two tracks see what you think and she loved them both and and worked worked on them both it's it's, it's it sounds so crazy that it took two years but it didn't take two years i wasn't working on a song for two years i wrote, wrote a song in like five days or something and then it sat around for a long time but there's also like with the whole album it's this plate spinning thing of you might have one thing ready but you're like okay what other tracks work and i was having to like cut tracks 
and every track's a collaboration apart from one and and there's musicians involved as well so there's something like 11 or 12 musicians singers and and musicians involved in it so much of it is like almost a kind of scheduling and project management as much as it is music and that part's really fun right (laughs) yeah it's really fun (laughs) i mean aztec records have been really good at helping with that because there's paperwork and there's splits agreements just to formalize that you know Miranda wrote the song wrote the lyrics and the melody and performed it and I produced the track and we have a agreement and we we split that 50-50 as I do with all the singers who've written like top lines as they call them yeah Um, so you've got all that paperwork you've got all the creative like back and forth thing of like sending each other audio files and discussing things and stuff and some people are more involved and some people just give deliver a top line and it's great and there's no more conversation and that's miranda she kind of does it and i'm just like yeah brilliant that's it (laughs) but then this album i actually had somebody else mix it he's a chap called israel medina great name who's based in san diego so there's then all this administrative stuff around exporting audio files and sending that all over to him you invariably make mistakes along the way you know things you know didn't export or something's blank or something's out of sync and all the technical malarkey and then you're having conversations that are very subjective about what something should sound like and it actually went relatively smoothly but for some reason it's weird because the album doesn't feel as like complex in many ways as the first one but the whole process felt much busier this time around and i was all i was always bolting things on as well something i would just be going right okay i'm gonna get this fucking thing out and then so i'd start talking to someone like ollie so ollie like me and ollie didn't i'd like written most of the album and then me and ollie started chatting and then you know just things came out of the woodwork so there's lots of like happy accidents where i'm like god if i had released it like six months earlier it wouldn't have had this happen or that song wouldn't have been included in it so it was all kind of fortuitously positive in the end yeah 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 then there's that danger of letting it go too long right so oh yeah it's like because when you think of it that way you go but if i waited another six months and exactly (laughs) it wasn't that i was like endlessly putting it off but there was because I'd written some songs ages ago and some songs on the album were written like three months before it was released and I was upgrading my computer and I was buying new plugins and upgrading my software and all these sort of things and I was also like compositionally getting better and in some places times getting getting worse but like you'd write something that like slightly raised the bar so then you felt like suddenly one song that you wrote ages ago you, you listen back and you're like well now in comparison to these other tracks that's not cutting it it's going to stand out as being significantly weaker so i've got to cut that right now i've only got six tracks so what's what am i doing now so that's this like balancing act because i was trying to make it not like feel like everything felt really old or shit i guess I guess it's like the game developing thing when you think about like a game like Cyberpunk. They were fucking making it like years ago. So it's amazing that anything looks like as good as it does. Right. <laughs> My album is as good as Cyberpunk. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. To be, to, to be honest, to say that doesn't... I don't know what that means. <laughs> yeah, my album's like Cyberpunk. It's sort of kind of, kind of good. <laughs> <laughs> but just don't play it on a PS4. Yeah. <laughs> well, look, how about this? Let's listen to another track. You're just talking about the Ollie Ride track, and uh, obviously that's, uh, that's a great track that he also released uh, on his album, but I think we should, uh, we should listen to it again, man, because obviously it's a, it's a great collaboration with you two guys, and it's called Stranger Love by Sunglasses Kid and Ollie Ride. Thank you. 
And that was Stranger Love by Sunglasses Kid and Ollie Ride. And uh, yeah, so that was like a co-release, right? Because you guys both put that one out? Yeah, this was one of the kind of unexpected kind of things. I mean, I'd been DMing Ollie a little bit on Twitter is how I first reached out to him and then I actually met him. Oh, he... he um. He didn't get back to me for ages over a, over a, like he he said oh I'll have a listen to a demo thing I sent him that was actually like an upbeat type thing and he just missed his DMs and he was he was like oh I'm really sorry I took just for taking so long have a backstage pass to my um show in London and um, it was so awkward because I've got these backstage passes and uh, I've never been to this venue before it's in it's it's in uh, Brixton and I'm with I'm with someone else as well and um, well I don't even know what this backstage pass gets me is there like some VIP like lounge area somewhere and there's a separate bar and there's a cool area so I'm just waving this pass at any like guard who's standing in front of any sort of door until a guard like lets me in mm-hmm. and um, I have no idea where I'm going and I'm, I'm with somebody else and we're walking we walk up these narrow stairs and I'm like okay there's going to be some other cool bar somewhere or something and uh open this door and just walk straight into all his changing room <laughs> <And> he's, like, <laughs> he's like there getting changed and it was so awkward because i if i didn't already sort of come across as a bit of a stalker and i'm like open the door i'm like hi <laughs> so nice to get here i mean i just i just suddenly like was, oh fuck so, so i sort of stood back and like nodded and uh ollie um ollie was very gracious about it and um and he gave me his charming wink and said uh i haven't forgotten matey We're, we'll talk soon and the track that uh i'd sent him actually didn't it didn't pan out in the end but he then um he then reached out to me on instagram because i was just posting endless clips of little demos and things i was making and actually stranger love was was actually a fuck about i was making i had actually like edited some visuals together and i was like i want to like do these visuals and i'll just quickly whip up a bog standard synthway thing and so i wrote this little loop in about an hour half an hour something whacked it on and ollie was like oh, i really like that let's do something on that so i then fleshed it out into a full thing because i was like dude this isn't an actual song <laughs> like this isn't an actual song and i was like no i was like this isn't like a thing yet then um but he's like no 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 it's got potential it was a really interesting experience okay right i feel like i've told too many people this i feel like i've said this story too much i feel like everyone everyone knows the story by now well then let's uh listen uh, yeah this is the podcast where people get uh bored yeah. <laughs> By me talking too much. <laughs> this is the podcast where people get, get bored. bored. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. Yeah. Uh, so, in in the actual order of putting together all of these collabs, who was the first vocalist to actually record something? I think the first song that actually got oh, who's the first vocalist to finish something? It might have been Iverson. So, so Iverson's like Josh, like approached me. I don't know several years ago at a gig I was playing and he, he he found me backstage and handed me an Iverson tape it was literally a cassette tape of their album and I then reached back out and said hey really like you guys we should do something together and I think that was one of the first ones that got actually done and then SJ Bravo I think also got something down because SJ Bravo is incredibly busy so he just took a bit of time to to get them done but but he, SJ came with me not last year but the year before in october 2019 i brought him with me to to amsterdam and we um played at a night arcade and sj sang the two tracks that are on the album and he's a really great guitarist as well so he was um in between he was playing long stuff as well so i think yeah i can't i can't remember what was the first thing to get sort of done i can't remember what fucking songs are on the album now because i'm gonna (laughs) (laughs) you want to go to sunglasseskid.bandcamp.com there you go thanks (laughs) 
net slash uk.gov. I'm so, like, distracted that I just Googled sophomore as if the first result would, might, would be my album. Because <laughs> it's such a unique... <laughs> what do you get when you search that? You get the dictionary definition of sophomore, which means a second year, a university or high school student. But when I when I thought of it, because I was like, I want a high school theme thing, I also discovered that people refer to their second album as the sophomore album. So I was like, ooh, aren't I clever? Hmm, a little bit of serendipity. <laughs> yeah. Is there another word that's like... Genius. Yep. <laughs> serendipity is like coincidence, isn't it? Serendipitous. Yes. And it's a movie with John Cusack and... Uh, yeah. What's her face who fights the vampires? Oh, no, no, no. She fights werewolves. I haven't actually seen the film. But they, they, serendip- they always talk about like serendipity in movies. Like Armageddon and Deep Impact is like a serendipitous thing of like suddenly two films that are the same plot come out at the same time is it serendipitous <laughs> i feel like that's like some guys at paramount going like uh it turns out the people at university have a volcano picture we need a volcano picture to fucking you know because what else there's the two volcano movies the Dante's one Dante's peak and volcano yeah 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 that, Dante's peak's definitely the better film i honestly haven't watched them in decades Dante's peak's awesome there's that that period of time it's like whenever i talk to mike because he's four years younger he tends to have a lot more positive memories with these movies from like the mid to late 90s than I do yeah. so like a lot of movies that I watched one time like Twister dude Twister's so underrated <laughs> but like <laughs> I watched a lot of those films quite recently Twister's fucking brilliant I've seen it about 50 times well, you should... <laughs> it's seriously it's so good you need to have a catch up with Mike sometimes it's you literally fucking... Twister's like the most entertaining film it's just non-stop fun it's so good Bill Paxton's hilarious throughout the whole thing just being classic Bill Paxton no Bill Paxton is awesome and I bet you to be fair if I did revisit some of these I would probably prefer them to new movies it's, it's got like a really lovely like adventure kind of feel to it because they're all on the road so they're like storm chasers I mean it's like a fan favourite amongst like actual storm chasers they all love it <laughs> they're like on the road they're like driving through like Oklahoma and it's like tornado season but there's also this subplot that Bill Paxton's got divorced from Helen Hunt who's like the storm they said they used to storm chase together and he's come to get her to sign the divorce papers that she's putting off because she's still in love with him and he's brought his he's brought his new wife but they're not really matched and actually he gets pulled into the storm chasing again and uh, they're on the road but it's got great it's got like Philip Seymour Hoffman's in it the, the effects are actually quite good yeah I just love it I love storms though I love storm films I love disaster movies I fucking love them <laughs> So I love Twister. I love it. All right, we're learning. We're learning things. See, this is what you can't get when you listen to all those other podcasts. All right, exactly. And Waterworld as well. I don't even think I've ever even watched Waterworld. People really fucking like are so unfair about Waterworld. They're, they're really harsh on it. It was like it's a shit Mad Max, and and also that it was super expensive for the time. Um, like they built like a giant island in the middle of the actual sea but it's fucking brilliant Waterworld again another criminally underrated apocalypse movie from the 90s love it alright well we're (laughs) (laughs) this fucking uh, Edward's picks alright well look how about this Let's listen to some more music, all right? You mentioned SJ Bravo. I want to listen to this one. This is Cold Hearted by Sunglasses Kid and SJ Bravo. Go, 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 cold hearted. Oh, if you want to call me up.
And that was Cold Hearted by SJ Bravo and Sunglasses Kid. And I'm here with Sunglasses Kid right now talking about Twister. <laughs> so good. He's so underrated. I don't know what it is, but there's a period of time those, uh, the, the blockbusters of that era, why they still, I mean, there's still a sort of a nostalgia to them because it was before the CGI takeover. So even though they still had CGI in them, like it wasn't, uh, you know the whole movie what the movies were still made the same way put it that way yeah. there's all these movies from like the mid late 90s that i had seen once yeah and then they never really became things that entered into my like rotation of movies yeah yeah and mostly it was the blockbustery type thing so of course yeah heat is one of my favorite films of all time that did enter into the rotation i loved the crow i mean there's lots of movies from the 90s i 
did really like. Yeah. It was more like the mainstream, like the the volcanoes and Dante's Peaks and Armageddon's yeah. and these sorts of things that I saw once at the time and then never really revisited them. But they still do carry some kind of nostalgia for me that gives them a bit more weight than like modern blockbusters. And I liked that they were still made at the time that a blockbuster didn't have to be quite the end of the world scenario that blockbusters seem to be now like every movie is always like the world's about to blow up or the superhero ones it's always the world or the universe is about to explode and it, this was still at that yeah. time where like it could be a localized disaster like twister is really like tornado in one little town well yeah and it's it's quite a classic it's like using quite a classic old hollywood story it's it's a couple that have split up but what should should be together that's the story that's got this backdrop of the storm chasing action but the story is a love story really i think that's when you've got a good movie is when too many movies like now are same with music and any kind of art form really but too many films they don't really have like a solid foundational story they're just they're just doing it for like the kind of effects and stuff like that i can't remember if i've talked to you about this you can cut this but there's a brilliant lecture on youtube about terminator 2 oh yeah, yeah yeah this guy breaks it down about like what is going on and that actually terminator 2 is all about the family unit and that like arnie represents like the father figure and the detail of like the narrative is of breakdown is so incredible and, and there's like a bit where he's like um Arnie like is in the biker outfit that's like the rebel and the T-1000s in the police outfit that's like the the authority figure and John Connor's at this sort of stage where he has to kind of choose. Well I think that's what's great about classic movies is that they had to put so much thought into the thing before it was filmed. I think that's what I resent mostly about modern films. Well it's, it's also it's that we're connecting like with Terminator 2 with all the subsequent Terminators that are like are all just vacuous and, and, and not very good. It's because they're, they're just like what cool like effects and action pieces can we have. Whereas Terminator 2's got this really emotionally engaging story at the heart of it which is about like this, this son with adopted parents. He thinks his mum's mad and has left him and then they're reuniting and they're being protected by the thing they also sort of fear. There's, there's all that stuff going on that's like, that's what you're connecting with. And then the action pieces around it are kind of driving it always forward. And there's all this stuff at stake that you're really invested in. So that's why Terminator 2 is the greatest action film ever made. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, it is awesome. And I like, though, too, especially watching that lecture in particular, because I think you did send it to me, like, I feel like a while ago, was the, the connection to, like, the visual storytelling and how that is worked into the themes. And so it's actually, like, yeah. they literally, like, cross thresholds when, like, the, yes, the characters okay. are crossing a threshold and on screen they're literally, like, driving through a cave and exactly. exiting there's a cave. Like, it's like, like, the first, like, threshold crossing is, like, the foot crushing the rose you know on his boot crushing the roses then there's the the bike crushing Arnie's bike crushing running over John Connor's bike there's all these repeat motifs going on with like like you say threshold crossing and I was like did James Cameron really plan all this but as soon as he starts explaining it you're like fucking hell get Cameron must have planned this because it just doesn't feel like something he would have accidentally repeatedly done throughout the whole of the script yeah and it's so impressive like it it made me even more impressed with Terminator 2 than I than I was before well also that's the thing again like when I say what I resent about the modern movies is like I like superheroes and big sci-fi and stuff like that but what frustrates me the most is like when I watch like the behind the scenes of the past couple Avengers movies and stuff where they've got characters who are in the mocap suits because they don't even know what their costumes are going to look like. 
you literally started filming the movie and you didn't know what the characters were going to look like. Like that's why I love watching, you know, the behind the scenes of old movies like when they're doing a matte painting and filming through glass or through a mirror yeah. to extend a set. A guy had to go away, do a painting for like a week. It had to match up with the shot. You can't change the shot when you have a matte yeah. painting lined up like so you have to plan it all in advance. You watch like the Blade Runner behind the scenes. They're literally like filming actors in full costume for screen tests. For like the establishing shot of like Los Angeles in Blade Runner, it's like two miles of LED cables or something, isn't it? To make all the fake lights in that like model. And then they had to film it like it was like 30 layers. So every layer has to be exposed differently because it's filmed onto film. And so like you can't just go like afterwards like, oh, wouldn't it be cool if there was like another building in the background and go like, nope. <laughs> we can't do that. That's the because- thing. I think I think that's the thing is the kind of ease of CGI. It both, like you say, it sort of inspires laziness. And also, it's just this kind of what if It's just like, why don't we just do this thing? Why don't we just have this thing? And it's just because we can, rather than whether we should, as uh, Jeff Goldblum says in Jurassic Park, you're so busy thinking whether you could, you didn't stop to think if you should. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it frustrates me because it's not that adding cool things to a shot isn't cool it's just it bugs me that this stuff wasn't thought about before the thing was made like what i was saying with them um, when i mentioned blade runner earlier it's like when they were doing screen tests for actors they already had like a set and lighting like they understood how the shot was going to be lit they know what the movie is going to look like and they can put an actor who might not even get the role you know if it was like down to like five people or something to literally see what they look like in a costume so you have to know all that stuff before you even fucking hit record exactly and this is my central argument for why I don't think Ridley Scott thought that Harrison Ford was a replicant at the time he was filming it and then changed his mind afterwards to sate fans and then added it in in the final cut because you don't see the light in Harrison Ford's eyes until the, the final cut where it gets CG'd in. Mm-hmm. But when you read about what they did to put the light into their eyes, they were doing it on set. So they actually had some sort of like reflective like light gadget that was putting that light into um, Sean Young's eyes. So if Ridley Scott really thought that Harrison Ford was a replicant, he would have planned it and put it into Harrison Ford's eyes as well at the time. Yeah. But he didn't. He did it afterwards when he chucked in the fucking shot from Legend and tweaked it and mucked about with it. But, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. No, I agree. I still... Anyway, it doesn't bug me. Bugs me. It's my biggest It's my biggest bugbear. Yeah? Because I love, I love Blade Runner, but I'm just like, it doesn't make sense that Harrison Ford's a replicant. It just doesn't, it doesn't add anything. It take, and it actually actively detracts from the plot. It actually makes it a worse film if you read it like that. It, it, what's interesting about it is he's a fallible human who's an alcoholic and is, isn't actually that strong and isn't that kind of amazing, but he's got kind of intuition and the ability to do impressions and all that. He's, everything about him is human. And that's what's interesting about him going up against a robot. And the moment you say he's a replicant, you're like, well, he's a shit replicant then, isn't he? Because he's his <laughs> broken. It's weird. It's his fingers broken. Yeah. And he's and he drinks all the time. It's a very weird decision to be like, if you're going to make him a replicant, why make him so human? It would be advantageous to have him like as a kind of robotic badass who just chases off like the Terminator. So it doesn't make sense. Yeah, no, you're right. For some reason, like th- there's certain things like this that I'm like more passionate about where I, I understand where you're coming from. For some reason, the Blade Runner ones, the, the change that bugged me the most was the changing I want more life fucker to I want more life father. Like that to me is oh, the change. That 
fucking annoyed me as well. But that's the one. Like, for some reason, I think because the changes in Final Cut are subtle, like it's like, okay, there's a little glow in his eye and there's this dream sequence. It's not to me on the same level. It's still the same conceptual level of what George Lucas did to Star Wars, but it doesn't bug me as much because it's not like he CGI'd in a character who walks into frame playing like a fucking drum kit and some annoying <laughs> instrument going like, so it turns out you're a replicant, huh? And then like runs away. Like at least he didn't do that because that literally like that's a Star Wars type yeah. deal where like they just fucking insert a character that ruins something <laughs> it's still subtle enough that I feel like you could probably show the final cut to certain audiences and they still wouldn't pick up the hints he's dropping yeah because I liked some of the fixes like some of them I was like you know that's fine you know put the head on her so the stunt double doesn't look as bad when she's crashing through the window you know shit like that it's, I'm it's, cool it's with shit like that I never even it never even noticed it I never like I mean I noticed it but it's like fixing one thing to make me then pay attention to another because instead of my like going oh yeah you can see you can sort of see it's a it's a stunt man wearing a wig now i'm just studying the glass going is that cgi glass (laughs) so it's like that's now irritating me because before i knew it was actually a person running through plates of glass right so there's a visceral kind of reality to it if they did like i mean they did do blade runner 2049 which i actually thought was disappointing but but like now the rain would be cgi they just wouldn't be asked. We were like, oh, well, we'll just make it rain in, in afterwards. Like, well, fucking put the rain in now then, because it looks yeah. <laughs> better. And, and they're actually acting with the rain. And the rain and the environments are going to, like, impact on the atmosphere that's on the set and is going to contribute to it. And you can just see it and feel it. And and these new, like, digital cameras are so pin sharp on the focus. Now sometimes the backdrops look like they're green screen and they're not. They're just... They're just so pin sharp. It's so weirdly flat. And other people don't seem to sort of notice this stuff. And I, I just find most contemporary films now almost unwatchable. I, I can't deal with the format. I'm like, it just looks shocking. Yeah, no, I know I know what you're saying. I, I have a problem with a lot of digital... Um, like, things that have become standard, like digital blood hits, really frustrate me because they never look good. <laughs> like, there's very few movies I've seen where digital blood hit looks okay. And usually it's because it's it has to be used properly and very quickly. Like, the Raid movies... I think are awesome. Like, raid, fucking awesome. And but and they use a ton of digital blood, but they do it correctly. Like they don't linger on shots, and it's used to just amplify really great fight choreography. And the choreography is already good, so they just use the CGI to like you know maybe extend someone's fall. Yeah. You know, hide a mat and make somebody so like it's a real stunt to a point, and then there's just that last little second where the dude like <laughs> snaps in half or something that you go like holy shit, and then the scene cuts. And um, oh look, hey, listen, yeah. <laughs> we just talk about movies. <laughs> we got we got to listen to more music though. That's the thing. Let's do it. I want to listen to this one. It's the one you did with uh, Megan McDuffie featuring Tim Capello. Yeah, it's a great song. It's called Never Ending Dream, and it's uh, by Sunglasses Kid and Megan McDuffie featuring Tim Capello and all the damn vampires. Oh, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Hashtag awkward. <laughs>
night, and that was Never Ending Dream, My Sunglasses Kid, and Megan McDuffie featuring Tim Capello and all the damn vampires. I'm here with Sunglasses Kid right now, and I don't know if you remember this, when you were first on Beyond Synth all those years ago in episode six. Yeah. We're now in episode like 270 something. Jesus. Um, well, nine years, man. This is season nine. Oh my God. Yeah. Yeah, right. So when I was first on. You uh, went on this thing where you were talking about Tim Capello and you're, uh, you know, like, oh, do you know, you know, Tim Capello? And then you started talking about the history <laughs> of Tim Capello and like him working with um, Tina Turner, right? And uh, I just thought it was awesome that, you know, all these years later, like I've seen all of, you know, there's so many artists who have been on Beyond Synth who have gone on to do cool things. And it makes me happy to see this happen. You know, I mean, like, uh, you know, talking to Zach and he's like scoring fucking Cobra Kai, yeah. you know, or, or even the success of some artists who became big and they're touring and all this stuff. And it's really cool. And what I like was thinking back to when you were first on the show talking about Tim Capello and, and, and you know, like gushing about how much you uh, liked his sax work and all this stuff. And then uh, reaching out to him to... Uh, yeah play sax on one of your tracks so like it's it, cool. it was crazy because he somebody who'd interviewed him uh, another podcaster I, I was dming them saying oh my god that's sick because they wanted to use my song my synthwave cover of i still believe from the lost boys which is a, like a thing i put out for fun many years ago but people still seem to like it and she wanted to play it, it behind the interview with tim capello that she was doing and i was like fucking that'd be make great yeah i'd love to um and and congratulations on getting tim capello for an interview that's brilliant and i'm thinking about doing my own kind of podcast long form interviewee thing and tim capello is just the kind of person i'd love to interview and she she just dm'd me his email address saying oh here you go you can reach out to him i can tell him you're up you want to interview him and i was like well no no, no. I, was like, I i don't know if i'm going to start this podcast yet i wouldn't i, don't, I wouldn't be feel ready to approach capello about it and then i forget all about this conversation that i've had with her and then the album is like mixed and mastered literally it's the fucking thing is locked and all these deadlines are coming on us with for physical vinyl tape cd the artworks all which i'm also doing everything's just coming to crunch time and it's quite late at night and i'm thinking shit i've got fucking tim Cabello's email address and i'm not asking him to do a sax on this on on something and what what track would work if this was even possible and it's got to be never-ending dream because there's almost no other track that would have the, the room for it and would be the right vibe and there's a guitar solo no, um, all the damn vampires got in this break and I'm like shit I'm going to have to tell all the damn vampires I might have to cut his solo to put Tim Capello in here so I, the first person I, I reached out to was Davey who's all the damn vampires and said look dude I've got this mad idea that I'm going to reach out to Tim Capello I've got his email address but it would mean my cutting your guitar solo how would you feel about that and he's like well obviously I, I would have loved to put the solo in there but I also am a massive fan of Tim Capello so obviously he's a massive fan of the Lost Boys because of his name so I was like well look, don't worry about it it's not like Capello's going to say yes or I'll be able to afford him or whatever so and then so I emailed him Capello and I and I was I was like to Aztec Records how long can we hold this and then like maybe like another two weeks so I emailed Capello I spent ages crafting this begging letter to him <laughs> and he came back and he was really nice about it and he was like hey I don't know if I'll be able to get it done in the next couple of days but maybe next week and I was like that's fantastic fucking great and uh I mean, I gave him like the kind of vague instructions. I was like, a bit at the start, maybe some answering call throughout. There's a big moment where there's obviously a space for a solo. And it, I kind of kept it like that because I was like, do not get prescriptive with Capello. And um, came back with this amazing sax solo. And it was like, I don't know, maybe maybe two weeks later in the end that he actually took. And then, we, then I had to get back in the remote session with 
Israel who mixed the album who'd already kind of locked the whole thing off and I was like dude I'm really sorry I've got this sax solo from Tim Capello we need to swap it out and he'd not actually Israel wasn't massively experienced with mixing sax so we, we had to do it really fast as well because we were so against a gun so that was that was the pressure of like having all this stuff because on, on graduation we hadn't got physicals releasing at the same time we, we hadn't got like vinyl or or anything at the same time as it was just digital but like once physicals are there there's there's certain deadlines that if you miss them you're you're fucked things are going to print or going to manufacture and everything so it was super stressful as well and it was i was kind of like what am i doing this is so crazy that and to we even thought to do it but yeah because if i'd reached out to capello a year before he would have been busy on tour so it was only because the lockdown was happening that he probably had time to fuck around with me. That's kind of like the, the sort of serendipity yeah. of, you want, of, of all of this. <laughs> I just like the sentence that sounds like it's uh, some kind of adage or something. Do not get prescriptive with Capello. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, it's like part of collaborating with people. Is you, if, if you know someone is very good, if you want to be very careful about like telling them do this or do that, if you're a control freak, you could be like, I need the sax to go da-da-da-da-da-da and like send him melodic suggestions or, or give him too much. And I kind of think if you're, if you're getting prescriptive with someone, then you're... Um, you're not giving them creative room to sort of do their thing and it's like i know what he's gonna roughly do i know it's what i don't know exactly what he's melodically gonna do but i know it'll be good and i and i trust him so it's like being careful to be sort of precise enough in your description to make sure they do the thing you want them to do but not too prescriptive that they come away feeling like you're telling them what to do so it's striking it's always striking that like balance that's <laughs> <laughs> like Tim Capello's like yeah sure and then he literally just sends you like an mp3 sample of I Still Believe with just his parts cut but like but you still hear the background song <laughs> like, just... do you know what's crazy because he when he first recorded it it came back he, he then said oh I was I was ready but something um, can I check the BPM because I went out it went out of sync something went wrong and I was like, it's a weird BPM, that song. It's 150 BPM, but running half time. So the actual BPM is like 77.5 BPM or something, whatever. 150 is divided by two. And then I suddenly thought, I mean, I know Capello could play sax, but like, maybe he doesn't know anything about recording from home. Like this, you know, maybe, I was like, oh my God, this could be shit. He could give me like a really bad recording. Like, like I've just assumed it'll be good, but maybe he's used to sitting in a studio letting somebody else do it for him. Right. So I got quite nervous. I was like, I have assumed this is going to be amazing, but maybe it won't. And it was. It was amazing. And it was a really good recording. I want to work Do Not Get Prescriptive with Capello as some kind of... Don't get prescriptive with with Capello. Capello. I want it to be a catchphrase. I'm just trying to figure out what exactly it means. Also, I'm prescribing you Capello. Yeah, yeah. Also, if if you're like feeling down in the dumps and going, write your prescription (laughs) for 100 hours of Tim Capello sexy sax, and that should be (laughs) you right back on track. Do you want to to pick a track to play? Let's let's play... um, Let's do uh, Chill with jay diggs all right man let's do it this is uh, jay diggs and sunglasses kid featuring johnny silva see i said it all there right you did <laughs> <laughs> all right so this many is, artists this is chill Been one night, I got you hooked. 
Hi, and that was Chill by Sunglasses Kid and Jay Diggs featuring Johnny Silva. Yeah, like, there's so many, like, I love that there's this whole album is collaborations, and then on top of that, there's several songs that have multiple collaborators. Like, <laughs> it's insane. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> There's like I, I calculated. I was like working it out. I was like thinking about every single person who's somehow had some involvement in that in the album, including you, who is the uh, as we know is the voices in the beginning of the you know our little like opening scene. And I was like, okay, including people like Andy. So everyone from like the vo- Andy, you did the voiceover for the opening scene, f- to um, people who've helped me with the logo, to people who've helped me with the artwork. I was like, I got something like it was like seventeen or eighteen people across five countries, right? Of somehow have had some involvement in the album. So it is, it is like mad to think about that. I mean, not everyone would give musicians a, a you know, a guitarists necessarily featuring credits because Johnny's a, a metal. He's mainly a heavy metal guitarist. He actually posted a cover of him playing guitar over Venice Beach for my first album on Instagram, and I was like, "Wow, that's really cool!" And he said, "I'm always down to play some guitars over anything if you want something." And um, I had this New Jack swing beat, and I was like, "What would New Jack plus like a metal guitarist like sound like?" What the hell? Because then I was I had like the the um, Michael Jackson song Black or White. I was thinking, okay. Slash and Michael Jackson kind of worked, so there's precedent for this working. And uh, and I was like, maybe it could sound a bit like that. And he kind of did this sort of funky but slightly messily sort of sounding guitar. And, and Jay Diggs was brilliant on it. And um, and then Jay Diggs blew up on Instagram like literally like a few weeks before the before the song was released. Yeah, I keep on uh, reaching out to him. Like he, <laughs> I, I can't guy. tell if he's just super busy because like he'll respond on like one of the different social media things I was like hey I uh, want to have you as a guest on the show and he's like oh yeah like what's your availability and then like he'll just disappear <laughs> and he's done that to me on like several different social media things now where I'm like I don't know if he's just being polite like just to be like yeah sure and then like realizes he doesn't want to do it but he seems like a fun guy he's certainly very busy and he's he's certainly got a lot of um, people vying for his attention since he became quite the uh, presence on on Instagram and because that must become a job in itself like I just every time I look at my Instagram and go shit I haven't posted anything for a week and then I'll look at some people's accounts like posting like several videos every day you know what I mean like that's yeah. that's a job to do that I think he's probably he may be doing it full time now but I think again like I said the pandemic has been this amazing sort of this this incredible sort of unintended or unforeseen kind of positive benefit of it has been everyone becoming incredibly productive and having time and people being available to collaborate and people creating more than ever and people taking people making moves like risky moves because they've lost their jobs so they're like fuck it it's like poker I'm all in because I've got nothing else now if, if I'm gonna roll the dice once in my life this is the time to do it because I'm fucked anyway so so there's a lot of people must be uh, have been you know making some high stakes moves at the moment I mean definitely my goal this year has been to actively try and do more because I think what happened with 2020 and I mean I, I experienced this with a lot of artists and I've been talking about that on this season of the show where a lot of people I had spoken with were like oh 2020 is going to be great uh, you know we're going to move forward and we're going to like try new things and do new stuff and then 2020 happened and what I realized in my own like psyche was I think even though I said this I talked the talk of like 2020 is going to be the year I do all this stuff I think in the back of my head I was sort of relying on magic the idea that 
I'm going to do more because it's 2020. Like the year is going to be doing the work and I'm just going to keep on plugging away the way that I always do. Yeah. And then when the year was what it was and then I ended up kind of doing less in certain aspects than I really wanted to get accomplished and stuff. And I realized that even though I was talking like I was going to get all this amazing stuff done, I didn't actually go in with the plan or the motivation to do it. It was like, I'm just going to move forward because 2020 is a future sounding year and it's going to do the work for me. <laughs> and so this year, I said, well, fuck it. I mean, I, I guess it's like a pretty stupid lesson to learn at this point in life where it's like, you know, if you want to make shit happen, you have to do it yourself. Like, you can't yeah. rely on uh, on magic to get it done because that's bullshit. So you have to actually have like, I've started trying to be more organized and I've got like charts and things and I actually for the first time in nine years I actually have a document where I've written down artists who I'm getting in touch with to like be guests on the show <laughs> so I can actually keep track of like remember you reached out to you know Yota on January 5th yeah. and she said yes and you've scheduled for this day you know and then it's color coded well, it's, it's crazy because like in my in my day job I'm incredibly organized but I have all these like sort of tools at my disposal so I'm constantly doing sort of project planning because I interview people as part of my day my day job i'm sort of sort of like a journalist <laughs> and um and i'm i'm managing like multiple things and yet when it comes to sunglasses kid i don't have all those tools at my disposal because i've got like the microsoft suite and like teams planner and all this stuff knocking about on my home pc yeah so I, i'm kind of doing it all in gmail and i and i this time round, actually, it's, I, it was funny because it's both a, I, I sound really organized and then i wasn't instantly but i um I actually set up a, um, a Trello board, which is like a kind of free like, online project management thing that we then used across Aztec, me and Ariel Aztec Records, to kind of essentially project manage all the different steps of things that needed to be done. So it was like, has everyone signed the contracts? Has the, where are we at with the artwork for tape, CD, vinyl, blah, blah, blah. Uh, has this been done has that been done then we had like lyric videos and all these various steps and things like that so we kind of they're essentially like it's like a bunch of to-do lists but then, then I failed to engage in my own Trello board yeah. after giving, <laughs> <laughs> I was like oh I can't be asked. <laughs> But Ariel, Ariel kept going with it and, and found it helpful, I hope. Well, it is. I mean, like, there's a point where I know, like, I joke a lot about being disorganized. And then, but I can still sort of look back at all the years and go, as disorganized as I am, I've somehow managed to make 270 episodes of the show. Mm. And, like, for the past several years, they've always been at least, like, two hours long. So there's, like, fucking hundreds and hundreds of hours of content that I've made. And I'm yeah. making a fucking puppet show with a spaceship set, you know, but... <laughs> And now I'm just suddenly realizing the importance of organization because it's like, you know, even if I want to do something as simple as I want the puppets to play a song, well, then it's like, well, then the song has to be made weeks in advance because, like, I have to yeah. fucking make a set and I have to do all this stuff. And so now I don't think I can afford to be disorganized anymore. It's either you're kind of doing everything yourself or you're surrounding yourself with a team of people who you're kind of outsourcing things to other people it, e either way you have to be massively organized because i i stuck with doing all the artwork myself for the album which at first didn't feel like a massive thing until suddenly we were getting into all the stuff like tape and cd and vinyl and suddenly it's all these templates and you've got credits and loads of details barcodes all this kind of stuff and it's like very precise with things not bleeding over the edges of borders and things like that and combined with that i've also got a bunch of other people doing a bunch of other things and you're constantly like liaising with people over like whatsapp dms on instagram on email and all this shit but my my big thing is to kind of outsource stuff where you can so get other people involved if you, where, where po 
impossible to do the stuff you can't do but I'm also I also am a bit of a control freak and things like the yeah, like artwork I wanted to kind of do myself but um <clears throat> I don't know where I'm going with this yeah no I, I again that's that's a skill I'm still slowly learning is that getting other people to help I just I've always had such a hard time with it's like when my name's on something I just want I want people to know like this is me like I made it yeah and but yet there's so many people out there who are like willing to help out with little things and it's I, I sort of just have to start building up a list of like what's something that I don't like doing that if someone else offers to help me they can take this off my hands right like having like almost exclusively done collaborations for this album and the same with the previous album and I'm a kind of I suppose I'm known for doing that is it becomes more like filmmaking or something it's not like you're this this one thing that's all yours and you're incredibly protective over it you're having other people inputting into it and they're adding guitars or they're adding vocals that are changing it dramatically and someone else mixing it then changes it again yet somehow it all sort of sounds and feels like me but if somehow that forces you to sort of take your ego out of things and, and be more objective and have other people bring something you know even if you think oh i could have done it but i wouldn't have thought to have done it like that even that you know even if you like i can't play the guitar so i can't i can't even begin to like have a stab at doing guitars but it's not just that i can't play the guitar it's that i might not have thought to do certain things so like working with phaserland he does things that i wouldn't didn't know realize like i kind of gave him you know do this funky picking and do that that and that but the things he does are different from having i could have given it to the same song to an equally competent guitarist and they would have done something completely different so it's it's um i don't know what i'm saying really <laughs> collaboration i think is a, is a good thing <laughs> it's strength in numbers as well uh, and until someone offers you loads of money and then it's fuck off everyone it's all me yeah <laughs> phaser who sorry fuck off Dude, I've been waiting for that for years. I still am. You know, if, if it's not the oil barons, I just want some rich guy to come along and just be like, listen, man, you fucking promote this agenda and I'll give you a million bucks. And I'll be like, yes, indeed. <laughs> Immediately. Just, just every, you know, every, every so often you're just shoehorning in some obscure pharmaceutical drug. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. Anyway, look, listen, we have to listen to some more music, all right? I want to uh, listen to the one you did with Primo the Alien, all right? So let's do that, and then we'll keep talking. So this is Sunglasses Kid and Primo the Alien with Fixing Me with Love.
And that was Fixing Me With Love by Sunglasses Kid and Primo the Alien. Or The Alien. I always forget whether I should do the those or these. That depends on your accent, but her name is very most definitely Primo the Alien. Say the. Primo the Alien. Primo the Alien. Primo the Alien. Primo the Alien. Oh, I'd say, yeah, I suppose, yeah. Primo the Alien. Yeah, Primo the Alien sounds better than Primo the Alien, doesn't it? Yeah, there's like a harsher sort of cutoff. Yeah. I think it's because the E-A, like, roll in together, whereas if you go, uh, A, then it's harder to say. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, we deal with the important issues. We do. Anyway, the point is, it's a good song. It was like, Primo the Alien, fuck that shit. Yeah. (laughs) Primo the Alien. Oh, brilliant. Let me get her album. I'm picturing that stupid meme where Drake, you know, like, where he's, like, frowning and then he's pointing and smiling. Yeah. (laughs) How would you even do that as a meme? No one would be able to understand it. Like, the difference between the emphasis on the word the and the. I guess... I don't think it matters anymore. People just like post memes. They don't even make sense. I know. I never, I don't understand 50% of memes. And not because I'm like old, but because they're dumb. Like, what the fuck's going on? I've sometimes I've like looked at a meme in some, my one feed or something and I've turned around to Laura. I'm like, what, what is, what is this? What do you reckon this means? What are you trying to say? It's fucking me. I don't get it. I mean, I, like, I blame that stuff on, from my point of view of being old also like meme culture moves so fast now that's the thing that i find the funniest is like where there'll be like some kind of event and then by the time i've heard of the event i'm already scrolling through instagram and there's cartoon memes about it yeah and i'm like how do these people move so fast <laughs> like, i'm like what have they got they got like studios with like real-time fucking stuff just happening they're like you know when those protests are happening they're like all right guys we've got the, we've got a guy in a viking outfit i want to get that cut out and fucking onto a green screen in the next 25 fucking seconds and let's get those memes out there now like, just think that that's someone's job every day they're just watching the news and the second some idiot storms the capitol building with a viking hat on they're grabbing the still and cutting it out <laughs> the ones that like blow me away with how much money they're making He's like these these like ones you're always seeing in the trending. So there's a guy, he's like an Asian guy with always different bright coloured hair and he's some sort of illustrator. And he's always like customising phones and iPads and things, like painting on them and designing them. The amount of money this guy's got, he's always, he's like in a mansion with a huge yeah. studio and all this shit. Like literally a mansion. And uh, it's always the ridiculously like over the top like premise of every co- YouTube video. It's like, what is up guys? Today we're going to be customising 10 10,000 iPads and then throwing them in a fucking lake and blowing them all up just because we can. You're like, what the f- We're going to be customizing nine Lamborghinis and then giving them away to the first people who click like. I'm like, what the fuck? How much money have you got? Just the amount of money that all these, te- these 20-somethings have had, are getting on. And I, I was listening to an interview with the guy on the that social media documentary. Um, did you, have you seen that film? It was, like, it was on Netflix, that documentary about the, the sort of dangers of social media. I listened to their podcast. Yeah. So they have a podcast called, uh, um, what the hell is it called? Anyway, but it's, it's the same, the same people that made The Social Dilemma. So he, he was saying, um, and it made so much, suddenly made so much sense to me, that it's in the interests of these channels for some people to kind of win the social media lottery. So if you think of it like you're playing this lottery, so for every person who is doing this and you know making these really well produced illustration themed youtube channels one person will be plucked from obscurity and launched into becoming this multi-millionaire celebrity and it keeps everyone grifting 
because they think I'm going to be the next person right. to like blow up on YouTube and have like 20 million subscribers and stuff like that. And so I, I suddenly it made me go, oh my God, this is, this is it. It's like the lottery because every so often someone has to win. So that's why you keep playing. If no one ever won, no one will play. So it's like that with YouTube now. It's become, or any of these channels, Instagram or TikTok. And what I love, especially from like my own output, is how everything that's natural to me is wrong in terms of, like I was talking to a, a guy about doing, like helping me with SEO stuff. Yeah. And literally every single thing he said, I'm like, oh, I do the opposite of that. <laughs> you know, like <laughs> I'm thinking of Andy's spaceship, A, this weird niche thing that is only going to appeal to a fucking fraction of a 0.1 nothing percent right so it's already weird and then where all these other YouTube channels they're like begging you to like and subscribe in the first like 10 seconds of every video reminding you to this I literally my first episode is a one minute shot where nothing happens where it's just a shot of the chair and I'm not even on screen you just hear music and like I'm fixing something off camera and you just hear like the wrench noises <laughs> Yeah, it's like with these, with these like kids now and like these gamer channels and everything or, or any of these channels where they're just doing anything, they're like, the first thing that comes out of their mouth is almost like a challenge. They're like, what is up, guys? We're going to be shooting for at least 10,000 yeah. likes on this <laughs> video. Uh, don't forget to hit the bell notification. I still haven't got over my, my slightly resentful feelings of how mindless the content, like I'll sit there and think, man, I just spent a month editing this fucking thing that I know that there's another channel of some stupid kid who puts out eight videos a day where 80% of each video is reminding people to like and subscribe. I remember <laughs> I will watch these channels that do like Star Wars news updates and there's this one dude who puts out like 10 videos a day. They're like six minute videos where like four minutes of it is just if you like what I do here, like and subscribe and then literally one minute of He's probably taken the same interview with John Favreau talking about the Mandalorian and somehow divided it into like 10 videos where it's just and he hyper focuses on like each sentence for content. And I'm just, well, but he's fucking doing it like he's doing it. I'm he's completely, the ones I'm completely addicted to, but there are some that are just so irritating. The voiceovers are so irritating. Are uh, these like top 10? Oh, <laughs> YouTube those are the best. And this one. There's one that's, it's like unsolved mysteries or weird things. And he speaks in exactly the same tone, like the, the rhythm and cadence of every sentence is identical. So he'll, he'll, he'll be like, um, there's a missile silo in Russia that was found recently in 1997, but no one knew what was in it. And then it was weird. Then suddenly there was a ghost and it appeared in the silo. Some people say the ghost was actually just a thing on a photograph and might be something wrong. But it goes on yeah. and on and on and on like this. And, and, and like you say, it's like kids who are like, like you're competing with, um, you put hours and hours and hours of work into making these, your, you know, show. And then some other kids like, destroying the new iPhone X. Yeah. <laughs> That's the video. <laughs> They're like just, just smashing a fucking brand new phone. <laughs> And it'll have like 15 million views. I'm so envious of some of those people who, like, if I could do anything that wasn't creative, I would love to be a tech reviewer. Could you imagine just having a warehouse where they just send you new phones and computers? Like, oh, we're just testing out the new iMac they sent to me. Like, again, it's like anything. It seems fun until you have to do it. And then it looks like a lot of work. But at least you could have all these gifts for your friends. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like every day you could just be like, you want a fucking new iMac laptop? Because they sent me two. And like, you can have the 13 inch. Like... I would just, it would be awesome to be able to be that person to just give people stuff. 
yeah. there's some channels where like we're the channel where we review like bubble gum or something so like if I could review anything it would be tech stuff because at least they'd be sending me new phones and shit yeah. but then I don't know where the hell I'd put them all oh the one the one YouTube channel I'm just looking actually on YouTube right now look at what's being suggested to me but the one I, I get a lot which makes me laugh is um, people talking about movies as if they're real well they'll start analysing a film and they're like why you wouldn't survive the 28 days later virus oh, right. and they just start <laughs> over like analysing it and talking and you're like guys you know this isn't actually real though you know this isn't <laughs> If you could have a time machine and go back to like when YouTube started and understand what was going on behind the scenes in terms of like how the algorithm works and you could like game it because a lot of the content now I notice it's like it is it's pretty much just personality driven. It's like if you like the people and then you built up an audience at a certain time because there's some there's a lot of channels I watch now where I, I go I don't even know that I really love the content it's just that I've watched so many of these people's videos that I'm just invested now in these people as humans yeah like I just want to see what else they they come up with even though like as I'm watching I'm like this isn't really great I think, I think the algorithms like changing all the time so it's it's like you're watching this constant arms race and it does all feel like an arms race towards everything being roughly the same it's definitely become everyone's become so sophisticated as content creators and marketeers that everything sort of it's all moved shifted towards this kind of same like i'm just looking at like youtube now and it's like everyone's the same with their like thumbnails yes thumbnails are all like highly well designed and attention grabbing and everyone has that same speech pattern everyone starts with what is up guys let's just jump right into it Every, uh, how many fucking videos start with someone saying they're gonna just jump right into it I'm like well, just fucking jump into it and stop telling me you're gonna jump into it <laughs> hey and that's a perfect time to jump into another song alright <laughs> so I wanna listen to this one this is a uh, a track you did featuring Hollow Flash and I think if we keep talking we're gonna end up listening to every song on this album but <laughs> it's great so who cares so let's listen uh, this is Sunglasses Kid featuring Hollow Flash with Sophomores.
All right, and that was Sophomores by Sunglasses Kid featuring Hollow Flash off the album Sophomore. And, uh, of course, we're here uh, catching up with Sunglasses Kid right now, and we are currently talking about what? Getting uh, <laughs> getting sucked into stupid YouTube wormholes? I've been dragged into, like, the wormhole of people and analyzing the movie Tenet and explaining why we haven't understood it properly. <laughs> It's like, why you're not watching Tenet, right? I'm like, yeah, that's the mark of a good film. No one understands it because they haven't watched it right. They they take it to this really, like, serious level as if it's really actually, like, real. Yeah, my problem, like, I actually watched Tenet. I didn't hate it as much as everyone else did, but as I was watching it, I'm like, this is needlessly complicated, and I didn't buy the premise. Did you watch it? I did. I watched it quite recently, and I think, it's the same problem that I was saying earlier about movies lacking characters and emotional Oh, well, yes, yes. <laughs> I think, like... Tenet definitely has that. If, like, Tenet had been really, like, emotional and engaging and you really, like, understood why the characters were being... what was motivating the characters and you really were, like, kind of emotionally engaged and connected and invested in it, I think the stuff that maybe you didn't follow or didn't quite understand, you would care less about it. Like you care less about like the technicality of the you yeah. know hang on how does this work and like so like I always say the the the, the movie that that makes me that sort of in a way comparable is Deja Vu with Denzel Washington where he's like he's trying to solve an explosion that's already happened by by working with this team of people who've got this like device that can look four days back into the past but because Denzel's so engaging and because the the premise is fairly because you're quite engaged with it and he's got to save a woman and there's all this stuff mm. you kind of overlook the kind of crazy like sci-fi explanation for it all whereas Tenet's so cold and trying so hard to explain to you yeah what what I found with Tenet my main issue honestly I think every single line of dialogue is expository so like that's obviously a problem when <laughs> trying to make you care about characters when like it starts looking like someone's doing like a pastiche of a Nolan movie yeah someone's like what'll be funny right put everyone in, in grey suits have a British guy have get Michael Caine in there yeah uh, have everyone walking around like in the street explaining shit to each other and have um, a, like the protagonist call him actually call him the protagonist and have like some dead ex-wife or some ex-girlfriend or something in there somewhere i have a problem with the actual science fiction plot of that film when i saw the trailers i was like okay like he has the superpower of time reversal i'm fine with that but when they actually explained what it was then it was like wait i don't think my brain will ever wrap around if the bullet was fired out of the gun then you can suck the bullet back in because it's a reverse bullet i'm like no i don't <laughs> it, it should have been a superpower it should have been a, just it's a superpower not, it's not like um, I think the problem with it is it's it's mixing two different things. One is it's dealing with the ro- the laws of entropy, which is like why does time appear to move forwards because everything moves towards a state of chaos, like glasses don't unbreak. But it's also mixing that with sort of traditional time travelly kind of stuff as well. So it gets confusing because some of it it seems to be sort of classic time travel stuff, and some of it seems to be chucking in a bit of physics, a bit of thermodynamics, and hoping that will sound so clever that you won't question. Yeah. See, I don't. I honestly, even even though it would be, I guess, more far fetched if it was just superpowers, it would have been so much easier to explain. Like for, for me, the, like the, the the one that makes the one that's the best, like Nolan film that uses a bit of quasi sort of 
science in it is the prestige because you've got Bowie playing Tesla you find out he's like actually kind of when he's teleporting someone he actually creates a clone of him which he's sacrificing every night for the show but that's got a poetry to it that's really like mesmerizing and, in, and interesting and emotional so the prestige you're not left at the end of it going but how does that contraption work right you don't care you just like oh it kind of is it is this kind of like fantasy science kind of contraption but the thing you're left with is the characters and the the kind of emotion of it and that's what you're engaged with and that's why prestige i think it's nolan's best movie i think also the problem is i think on paper it's interesting to be like oh the one guy's backwards and the one guy's forwards but then when you actually watch the fight scene it's not as cool or visually as interesting as say like the hallway fight from inception it just looked like reversed footage like that's all it looked like i actually thought it looked even worse i thought it actually looked like actors trying to act backwards it didn't work for me like i just think when i watched inception i was wowed by several sequences in that film that were like really cool and this one it was just sort of like i'm just watching a backwards fight like i could do this like even though i think there's more to it than that it didn't feel like there was when you were watching it and you just don't care you just don't give a shit like whereas inception there is there are some hokey moments in it and there are some stuff where you start questioning it too much. You're like, hang on, how does this fucking work? With all the levels and all that sort of stuff. Well, at least in Inception, there's like visual cues that also help you understand the story. So like, you know, there's that part when uh, DiCaprio is teaching Paige's character, like they're in the dream and he's showing her how to create stuff. And then he mentions that his subconscious is going to start turning on her because the subconscious yeah. recognizes that there's somebody else creating the dream. And then as you're watching that, characters in the movie literally start turning on her. So you actually understand the story concept by seeing like a like an actual visual. Yeah, it's it was really clever and it's and because it, it connects with you because it's such a primal thing about dreams yeah and there's parts in prestige or in, or in tenant where they're just explaining stuff to you and there's no visual to accompany it it's just like some lady sitting in a chair or whatever just saying here's how things work it's just cold you just don't give a shit you're like you kind of just you just every every time there's a scene you're like okay um sure yeah. Why am I caring yet about any of this? I, I literally don't give a shit. I mean, there's moments where I'm just like, what are they doing? Why are they doing it? Where are they? <laughs> like, I was asking all of those questions. In the unlikely event that Nolan's listening to this podcast, I hope Nolan would appreciate the fact that I gave it its full attention and watched it on my phone. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> to give that 70 mil experience yeah. to <laughs> The fucking respect it deserved. I watched it on a Samsung S10. Yeah, <laughs> yeah it's a good phone. But I had headphones on, so I could hear what was being said. Well, look, man, listen, we should... Uh how about this? Do you want to play another track? I feel like we just talked for a long time. I need a yeah. All we've done is just talk about movies. We're not talking about music at all. Well, why don't we why don't we play the second Miranda Carey collab because it's got quite a different vibe and it was I think it was the last song to actually be made for the album. Is this the and one uh, featuring Pulsar dot sax? This one Pulsar Pulsar sax. Yeah, who is a sax player from Russia. Cool. Well, yeah. Well, let's do it, and then we will we will say goodbye to Sunglasses Kids. Yes. So we'll listen to one last track, and then uh, this is this is the only problem I have whenever I catch up with you is uh, so I'm always like, "Fuck, we end up talking too long," and then I have to. Oh, no. I have to. <laughs> we just have a conversation. We just we just forget. I just forget we're on a podcast, and it's just you and me just chatting shit. Yeah, we just need to schedule these. Like, <laughs> we should just record our conversations and just do a fucking movie podcast. Is what you and me should do. Yeah, that is something. 
more work crush it one of these days we just make it and we'll get like 2 million subscribers that's how it works isn't it we would do it quite instantly I mean that would happen do you know what if we did it and we just made it really like clickbaity and did it on YouTube as well and we just did it like why Tenet is the worst film ever made no no here's what you we do we have the podcast but the still images for some reason whenever I'll sign into YouTube I don't log in with my Google accounts so I like to see what an actual blank a fresh YouTube su- suggests to you right and sometimes I'll just be watching videos and then all of a sudden like it just suggests uh, hot European women doing gymnastics <laughs> and I'm just like why is this like I didn't click on anything to do you know what I mean like just you know when YouTube wants to suggest <laughs> things to you and the thumbnail is always what I've noticed is hilarious is it'll be like you know like a pretty girl or whatever but they will they will manipulate it to make it look like her bum is bigger yeah in the still image <laughs> It's hilarious. Like, I'm just like, I love all the thought that goes into clickbait. We could do one where we could just do a movie podcast, but the thumbnail was have always just got a massive pair of boobs, like a big cleavage that always just cut out and put into the shot. They've got nothing to do with anything. Man, the psychology of what men will click on is amazing because I saw that this other one was a soldiers wel- being welcomed home collage, like a montage of soldiers coming home in the States and being greeted. And the thumbnail is like this girl in a cheerleader outfit hugging a soldier and they've made her bum look bigger with <laughs> Photoshop and it's supposed to be this heartwarming video of like girlfriends like and, and children seeing their parents like show up uh, from active duty and fuck sake. It's like those clickbait articles where it's like 10 outlandish Halloween costumes and it'll be like a sexy nurse or something and then you scr- and, then and it's not in the, the article, article. It's like, that's not even in the article yeah. <laughs> the only reason I came here isn't even here <laughs> I've done that so many times. <laughs> I think my favorite of all time is still news anchor bloopers, and it's just a thumbnail picture of like a news anchor lady, and her blouse is like popped open, and her boobs are hanging out. <laughs> the <one> is- okay, sorry, <laughs> it's a classic. <laughs> the one that makes me, laugh. the one that makes me laugh as well when um you won't believe what these celebrities look like now and um it'll be like the thumbnail will be like a picture of brad pitt or something you know and and you're now on the seventh page of this marathon of adverts you're bypassing to get just show me the picture of brad pitt oh yeah <laughs> and you're like i can just google what brad pitt looks like now <laughs> well they, I, my favorite too is they lie in those things too like there's sometimes where it'll show like a picture of like a, a little girl who was in like a tv show and then the side picture looks like this like crackhead yeah. lady with like no teeth and stuff and you're like oh fuck like she grew up to be fucked up and then it turns out that's not even her afterwards picture like they just do that to shock you into clicking on the article like 10 actors you didn't know had died it'll be a photograph of Robert De Niro you'll be like what the fuck dude I did that just the other day who was in the fucking picture and he wasn't dead it was like actors who had died and it was Nick Stahl from like Terminator 3 I'm like Nick Stahl died and then like I click him it's illegal it shouldn't be allowed Did you have a fucking law against doing that? Anyway, anyway, it's so misleading. No, man, it's uh, it works every time, though. But what do they think is going to happen? You're going to be rage filled. Well, they, read the top comment is always that wasn't even in the video. Like that's always the top comment. It's like this thumbnail of some hot girl that's not even in the video, and it's all people co- in the comments complaining that that girl isn't in the video. <laughs> Well, that's what... Uh, yeah, anyway, let's just do a podcast where every thumbnail has got a picture of a woman who's got nothing to do with it. <laughs> hey, man, it would let's work. See how we get... That's the sad part. Get. I'll do. I'll try that one time. Uh, I'll see if it works for just me. Just right. Christopher Nolan, Tenet. Big picture of some big-breasted woman. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> yeah, we did. Hey, man, that's all. That's uh, SEO. That's what they could all teach us about search engine optimization. Is just uh, there you go. where the anyway. Look, listen. Let's listen to one more track and then we'll say goodbye. This is Miranda Carey and Sunglasses Kid featuring Pulsar Sax. This is Summer Breeze.
right, and that was Summer Breeze uh, by my blah blah blah. blah. <laughs> so blah 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 blah. blah. Uh, that was Summer Breeze by Sunglasses Kid and Miranda Carey featuring Paul Sarsax and. I have been talking to Sunglasses Kid, and if you enjoy these tracks, go get the album. Get it. At sunglassesskid.bandcamp.com, sophomore. You can even hear my voice in it, screaming. You can. Andy's the voice of both the principal and the, uh, the, um... <laughs> hey, Dicklin! <laughs> So good. You know, I will say this: your your sound design on that was really well done, and to the point where you know you asked me to to do the voice again, and I just was not feeling that character, and I know I was really <laughs> hesitant with you, and I didn't want to do it, and I felt like you had already really created a scene that told the story without the necessity of dialogue. Like you had done a really good job of having all the atmospheres come in and the different perspectives where it almost like you, you can envision camera angles changing and stuff. And so, uh, yeah, it's good. It's fun. Well, it was great because I can kind of convince you by going, I don't need you to do much. Just do a few grunts and, and growls. And then you, then you eventually got into it. And then uh, I had, um, Dana Jean Phoenix is the voice of the Valley Girl. And that's when you, when you, I can't remember when we were on the phone and you were just, you were talking, we were talking through it and you went, Dicklin! Oh man, it made me fucking piss myself. And I was like, I'll oh, do me a couple of those because you can just put them in, in the app into the background of the uh, party and it'd be funny. Yeah. And then um, one of them just, you just, I can't remember when I mixed it in. Oh, and that, that's right. I had a car sound effect that was just a bit of Atmos to kind of suggest it was the street. And it, I dragged you saying Dicklin and it went, it landed just by accident over the car. And it immediately sounded like you were coming from the car. And I was like, oh, that's brilliant. It's like a kid driving past throwing something at him, like getting something <laughs> on his chest. So I then had to work out how I was going to convey this properly and kind of create can sounds and water and all this stuff. But yeah, I was really pleased with the end result because it really does sound like some kid driving by chucking something out there convertible car in or something yeah it did to me yeah no no it worked well i thought it was good so yeah but listen we gotta we gotta say goodbye so people should uh should go listen to the album it's it's good stuff every track is good uh sounds nice i'll go on Bandcamp and read one of the comments what do people say fox puppy says many retro albums try to capture a retro style but it's not easy to recapture the feel and vibe of a certain era this album captures the synth the soul the fun of the late 80s and early 90s very well using great songwriting and some of the best voices and synth music this album was one of the best of 2020 and it definitely must have for fans of Synthwave. I can't wait to put this one on the stereo next summer when I'm out in the yard. I don't know about that last sentence, but that's like... Sad, that's <laughs> not, that sounded like it could have almost been read in the style of American Psycho. Oh. <laughs> Many retro albums try to capture a retro style, but it's not easy to recapture <laughs> the feel and vibe of a certain era, because sometimes... Yeah, yeah. Hey, Alan! <laughs> hey, Paul! I love that movie. Yeah, so anyway, the point is that it's good, and that guy wrote a very nice review, Fox Puppy. And somebody else said, Sunglasses Kid doesn't recreate the 80s. He is the 80s. Nice. That sounds like something that Dave Brent would say yeah. off the office. <laughs> he doesn't just create the 80s. He is the 80s. So, yeah. 
It's nice. I, I like the, actually all the reviews that people have written because they all sound like reviews. They're really nice reviews, aren't they? They analyze music better than I ever have on this show. Somehow, like <laughs> nine nine seasons in, and whenever I play someone's track, all I can ever say about it is that was a cool track, and like that's all I have to say. <laughs> well, I hope I don't upset people with the direction I may be taking my music in the future because I'm I will try and keep it as faithful because I'm seeing people saying about me recreating the '80s so authentically, and people were like, "He's even mixed it to sound a bit." shit by like the 80s I'm like yeah yeah that that, that was definitely deliberate <laughs> <laughs> you're definitely that yeah you're like, like I'm like most of the time I'm like no I wasn't actually trying to make it sound that like low for their listening yeah <laughs> that's just me not being very good I love getting those sort of weird compliments where you're like you're happy that someone enjoyed a thing like but at the same time uh, it's like oh wait a second like I'll, I'll get that when I do like weird special effects and stuff in my videos and be like I like how it's like an intentionally all wobbly and stuff and like didn't look right I'm like yes yeah people on purpose one that's like a slightly I'm not sure if it's a compliment or not they'll be like if he'd put this out in 1987 it would have been a hit but it's not 1987 so it's not a hit yeah so. <laughs> <laughs> some kid have been making music in the 90s he would have had a platinum records but he isn't and he doesn't yeah <laughs> <laughs> but he isn't and he doesn't <laughs> that's always what I say in my head um, sadly I'm not I'm putting him out right now in 2021 and I don't have any platinum records so I do think about that one. sometimes though like what if you could actually take this album go back in time you know what I mean and then just like hand it to like a producer or someone and just be like hey man here it is but it's weird people wouldn't listen to it in the same way they listen to it now because they'd be listening to it thinking it was like it was like contemporary pop people were listening to it on a meta level now they're listening to it but they're not in just enjoying the composition and the song and the melody they're enjoying the the references and it's and again like it's you know talk about, about film and tropes and stuff you've got to be very careful that it doesn't just become a song of references like yeah yeah, that sound. Do you remember that sound? The 808 cowbell? Yeah, yeah remember that? <laughs> Again, going back to the conversation about YouTube, a lot of that content is, like, really popular. You know, like, I'll sit there and think, like you just said, you know, jokingly, like, we should do, like, a movie podcast. And I think about that stuff sometimes, and I think, what would my angle be, right? Because I, I would need one in order to do it. Like, I need to go, what would make this special or different than someone else doing it? And then I watch all these videos where, like, it's just references, and then all the comments, like, it'll get, like, a million hits, and all the comments are just like, yeah, I, yeah, I used to love that. I'm like, that's it? That's all you have to do is just make a video where you just go Ninja Turtles was fun, and you don't even have to say anything insightful or anything, and then they're all, there'll be this audience of people who are just happy because they see a thing they recognize, <laughs> and it kind of makes me depressed in a way because, like, I can't produce that. Like, I have to be like, this has to be special and different. Well, like, I was, I was literally writing some music this afternoon, and I was, I actually, for the first time, none of my albums contain a single sample, like a pre-made thing that I didn't compose. Everything is composed, every individual drum hit every individual note every chord is all me whereas like today i started using incorporating some samples for the first time and i felt deeply like i was cheating i was like oh god this can't and i've been watching tutorials lately on like more modern pop production mm. and i'm like they're all just cheating they're just grabbing like some fucking midi loop or some sample they they pasting that they're tracking in this doing that and they've done it and that's cheating and there's something about telling yourself there's nobility in, in suffering and working your ass off and everything but nobody knows yeah you know. <laughs> 
<laughs> I like you the idea. Look, I like the idea of thinking it's noble. All right, I want to end this on the note that I've said it before, but people will ask me often. They'll say, "What well, are you using? Hard, real vintage synthesizers, or is it all software?" And I'm like, "It's all software, and you've just proven that you can't tell the difference." <laughs> so you know, I could spend thousands and thousands of pounds on vintage hardware and suffer from truly for my art and being the most authentic possible. And you touch a computer, but no one can tell. Again, it's about the spirit of where people come from. I think that's why. I mean, I know there's people who get frustrated with my show because I don't talk about technical music stuff with artists, but I think sometimes it's like tools are tools, and knowing what VST an artist uses isn't the same as knowing where they're coming from, you know, like the the actual ethos of the music making, because what you're saying is absolutely right. It's like, Sunglasses Kid, you understand music composition. It's only in certain, like, things. Music is one of the biggest offenders of this, because you don't get the same phenomenon with writing. You don't go up to someone and go, oh, J.K. Rowling, oh, oh my God, so, such a fan. What pen do you use? Right. <laughs> what, oh, what, 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 what computer did you use to write that on then? What, 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 uh, oh, what paper are you using? Mm. There's not this obsession with the, the tools. I guess I guess that, that's a bit of an unfair comparison. No, no, it's sports, reasonable. Sports is a similar comparison of like, what golf clubs does Tiger Woods use or what, what shoes does, you know, some famous runner use or whatever as if that's gonna I mean there are things that like you can't you literally can't do without certain gear and there are certain sounds that if you buy a certain thing you will have access to that sound but you won't have access to those chord sequences but now you can download MIDI packs and get chord sequences but you will start to come unstuck when you don't if you don't know how to like compose you won't know why that chord sequence is good and you won't be able to do anything other than use that same one chord sequence because you won't understand how to join a new chord sequence to it. Most of this kind of this quick production that I see on YouTube is just people going, I've just downloaded a load of samples and now I just get to have fun making drum beats because that's all I can actually do. It's just like how there's always all these wacky diet fads and yet since the dawn of time it's always been eat well exercise, drink lots of water and get plenty of sleep and those are the rules that have stayed true for millennia but then everyone keeps on getting excited by the new fad diet or the new vitamin or pill or whatever because no one wants to put in the work and when it comes to music it's the same thing it's like I could tell you I use Ableton and my favorite plugin is Zebra too but it doesn't matter because if you don't understand how music is made and even if you do understand how even if you you're trained because I'm self-taught but even if even if I knew what someone was saying to me and understood it and they said, yeah, I've written this in the key of so-and-so, and this is... And you can see people dissecting what what makes a song great. Why is this song so great? What's so brilliant about it? But that doesn't get you any closer to coming up with your own song. You can kind of take pieces of somebody else's... Like, you can start to build up a bit of a profile of what makes a good song and why something is good and everything, but you've got to think of your own thing. Yeah. There's always going to be that little kind of thing. You've got to find your own voice and find your own idea as well otherwise you will always just be nicking from somebody else it's perfectly fine to like borrow ideas and i borrow ideas from people and i listen i I, this thing i was writing today actually started with a chord sequence and i heard in a mariah carey song a 90s mariah carey song (laughs) and i like reverse engineered it and worked it out but then i put it into such a different context that you you can't tell that that's where it's from and it provided a bit of an in, like an inspiration for me. I mean, basically, my point is like to sort of wind this down and encapsulate the yes. whole thing. Uh, what's your favorite VST? <laughs> oh God, I will say my favorite VST. <laughs> it's not my favorite VST anymore, but it was my favorite VST for a long time, and the whole of my first album has it all over it. It's the Korg Wave Station. 
and one of the presets on the Cool Wave Station is called Sunglasses Kid. That is where my name is from. And my favourite, my favourite story is somebody once DM me on Instagram again, dude, Cool Wave Station's named a preset after you. <laughs> I was like, uh, yeah, I'd love to say that's the case, but sadly, it's the other way around. <laughs> <laughs> Perfect. All right, man. Well, listen. See, this is what always happens. I say we have to say goodbye, and then we end up talking for another 20 minutes, so I'm going to just hang up. So, listen, it's always lovely to chat with you, and uh, the album's great, and uh, you're a cool guy, and keep on making uh, cool music, and we'll uh, we'll talk again. Talk soon, dude. All right, and that was my chat with Sunglasses Kid. Uh, it's always nice to catch up with him, and uh, we always end up talking for a long time, so this episode ended up a little longer than I thought it would, which is why it is also releasing a day late. So that's what you get, all right? But um, that's what you get. But uh, hopefully next week's will be on schedule and all of that good stuff. So thank you for uh, listening to the show. Thanks, of course, for all of your support. And uh, tune in next time to Beyond Synth, the best synth wave channel chat show there is thanks for Beyond Synth is made possible by the supporters on Patreon and PayPal. If you enjoy the show, please consider becoming a supporter at patreon.com slash beyondsynth or donating via PayPal at beyondsynth.com. If you want to submit music to the show, please email beyondsynthsubmissions at gmail.com. Don't forget to follow and subscribe to Beyond Synth on YouTube, Instagram, Twitch, Twitter, and Facebook. May the Force be with you.